0: though because of our faith that we are persecuted in either sense I think God reserves the right as our heavenly father to use all that Satan would do to destroy us he reserves the right to use it for our good I've got to tell you as a pastor and and having been in the ministry here for this our 21st year um, I have had the joy of watching a lot of young people overcome a lot of really tough stuff Challenges that should have given them every excuse to throw in the towel. I know that as a family, we are here because in many ways we had to start completely over. And so if anything, if you're here today and you'd say, you know, I'm going through something really unexplainable. I'm really hurting right now. I have some things that are tearing me apart. I want to tell you, you're in good company. And you are surrounded by folks that know what it means to start over. And you are surrounded by some folks that are committed to seeing you through this time. And I hope that today that this story that we find in Genesis, the 39th chapter, as we read about the life of Joseph, it's going to remind us that sometimes when we're going through very difficult things, that God is still with us, that God is still working. And ultimately, he's going to use these things that are happening to us for our good. The Bible says in Genesis 39 and in verse 1, It says, when Joseph was taken down to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, and Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph was sold into the household as a slave, into the household of a man whose job it was to take care of Pharaoh. He was kind of like the man who was in charge of Pharaoh, the king's secret service. And the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this. And Potiphar realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in all that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. And from the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned and with Joseph there he did not even worry about anything except what kind of food to eat now that's that's taking total responsibility for someone let's pray together can we father as we read about this young man in the old testament named Joseph we ask that your holy spirit would open our minds and our hearts so that we can understand the things of God And so that in our hearts, we'll know the decisions that we need to make so that we can change and become more like your son, Jesus. And we ask this in his name, amen, amen. This morning, I want us to notice some things about Joseph. And before we're through, we're going to read a little bit more of this story and find out a real time of testing that Joseph had as if being sold into slavery was not enough. But Joseph... um, There's this rhythm that I want us to notice in the story of Joseph. And as we learn more about him and we follow through these hardships that Joseph faces, we're going to see this rhythm. And it's very, very important. I don't know if you noticed what the Bible says uh, uh, there in the second verse. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Everywhere we see this young man suffering, going through something difficult, Uh, seemingly forgotten by everyone else around him we see that God was with him that's something that's very important for us if we're going through something if we feel like we want God to prepare us for something great we know he has a purpose for our lives but we don't quite know what's happening to us at this particular time I want to encourage you to know that God is with you and listen not only did Joseph enjoy God's presence but, but for Joseph, God's presence was everything. God's presence was life or death. The difference between success and failure was God's presence, whether or not God was with him. We know something about this, and Scripture talks a little bit about this, but I, I want us to notice something that's a small detail, but it, there's a lot of treasure behind it. The Bible uses a word for God when it says the Lord was with Joseph. In your Bible, that might be capitalized. It should be if it's not. And what that means when any time in the scripture that you see that name of God, Lord, that's capitalized, that is a translation of the sacred Hebrew name for God. We're not still to this day quite sure how to pronounce it. It's referred to, its technical name is the sacred tetragrammaton. It is the unspeakable, noble name of God. It was a name that God first gave his people through the burning bush when Moses asked, when God told Moses, if you'll remember In the book of Exodus, that I'm going to send you to Egypt to take my people out of slavery, to lead them into a place that I prepared for them. And Moses tells God, who in the world should I say has sent me to do this job? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And as God said that, he used that sacred name that he gave to Moses. It became a name that specifically was a covenant name. It was a name specifically reminding God's people that I'm not just a God of the universe. I'm not just out there roaming around all powerful, but I'm a God that wants to get intimately and closely involved in your life. I'm a God you can count on. And when you think that this passage that we read about Joseph was first heard by that audience of Israelites leaving Egypt as Moses Through angels was inspired to write this book of Genesis. It was those Israelites wandering around feeling forgotten, abandoned by God in the desert, that first read about a young man who felt forgotten, who felt abandoned, and who was encouraged to know that God was with him. What a wonderful meaning that it had for them. But listen, that meaning also exists for us. God's presence is everything. If you are in the neighborhood, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There's nothing we could do to change and somehow dump wealth on you. If you feel like you can't be happy unless you're wealthy, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I haven't figured that, that out. One day you could have a business of your own if you work your head off. And, and you, could, you could gain more wealth, but I don't think that's the answer to the problem. Maybe if you thought that popularity might be the thing, that if you could just dump a truckload of popularity on you, that somehow that would straighten you out and be okay. Listen, that has nothing to do with anything, but I will tell you this. I can guarantee you that God's presence is seeking you out and that God's presence will dwell with you no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, he will go with you. God's people understood this. I don't know if you remember in the book of Exodus when God brought his people to the promised land and he basically told Moses, I brought you here. I'm going to let you go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. God said, you are a rebellious and stubborn people. And if I were to go with you into the promised land, I would kill you. Moses told God, I would rather stay in the desert with you than to go into the promised land alone. And so God taught them how to worship him. And he gave them the instructions for the tabernacle. And they wandered in the desert until a whole generation that rejected God as God, as their father, died off in the desert and then God brings them back to that same place. It's a beautiful picture what God tells them. He said, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And then in Deuteronomy, he goes to the people again. And he said, do not be afraid or discouraged For the Lord I am will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, and he will neither fail you or abandon you. Why do you think Scripture went through all the trouble of recording this conversation for you and for me today? We know because Jesus quoted the Old Testament that we have the Old Testament to teach us what God is like. And I want to tell you something, the world will abandon you. Every human being that you have in your life, even those that you love dearly and that you trust, they're going at some point to drop the ball. There will be a time, even me, even your parents, honestly, as much as we love you, as much as we would like, we are imperfect people. There will be times that human beings will always be insensitive to your needs. There are going to be times that we are oblivious to what you're feeling and emotionally what you're going through. And we're going to do the best we can to love you and be there for you. But I want to be honest with you. There is one who sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And he is there with you. He will not fail you, and he will not abandon you. Jesus, as he prepared to ascend into heaven in John the 14th chapter, began to speak to his disciples about the place that he was preparing for them And and Thomas asked, Lord, we have no idea where you're going or what you're talking about. And Jesus said, oh, yes, Thomas, you do. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What was Jesus saying? My presence is everything. I want to ask you something. Are you in a practice? Do you have a habit of seeking the presence of God? Are you having that time where you give God time? To speak to you. Are you finding those moments, no matter where you are, no matter what time of day it is, where God has your undivided attention? Are you giving God the ability as you open up his word to speak clearly to you? Because, listen, God can do a lot through music. He can speak to you through friends. He could He could use skywriting, all right? He can do whatever he wants. But let me tell you his clearest most, uh, his uh, most loud and clear and distinctive voice is found in his word. Are you opening up the word of God and searching for the treasure that's there? Or are you holding God at arm's length? You know where that expression comes from? In Egyptian hieroglyphics, as they worshiped their gods, they carved wooden hands and wooden arms And out of fear of their gods, they would put the offering on the end of a fake arm and a fake hand to put an arm's length between them and their god. And you can see in Egyptian carvings of their worship practices, them holding these offerings out, holding on to basically extensions of arms and hands, fake wooden carved arms. I want to ask you, is that how you approach God with an arm's length between you and God? Or like David, do you pray, God, search my inward most parts. Search my heart and make me clean. Listen, if you will open up your heart to the Lord, He will dwell with you and he will bless you. Listen, Joseph, if anything, is a beautiful picture of God coming into the life of a young man and saying, I'm gonna give you a closeness to me that no one else has ever known. And Joseph enjoyed the presence of God. Not only that, Joseph enjoyed the blessing of God He enjoyed the blessing of God. The Bible says that because Joseph was in the household, that God caused everything that went on in the life of of Potiphar's household to be blessed for the sake of Joseph. In other words, he did it just to draw attention to Joseph. Now, in your Bible, in your translation, there might have been a word favor, F-A-V-O-R. And it might be a word, sometimes it's an older word that we don't use a lot. Um, But we do use the word favorite. If we say that's my favorite food, that means I choose that food over all other foods. If we say this is my favorite pair of jeans, that means I love this pair of jeans more than I love any other. My favorite t-shirt, that's my t-shirt, you know what I mean, my favorite band. That's where the word favor comes from. The Bible says that in every instance that God showed Joseph favor. Why? Because Joseph was living a life that God could bless. Joseph had a character, and I love what the old Puritan preacher said. He said that Joseph lost his tailored coat when he was sold into slavery, but he didn't lose his character. That he had to to take off that garment that designated him as his father's favorite and had to put on the gear of a slave and look like everyone else and learn their language so he could sound like everyone else. And yet, even in that setting, God stepped in and said, I'm going to show this man favor. I want to ask you, are you living a life that God can bless? You know, there are examples of some people that even in their disobedience, God used them, such as Samson. You know, he's one that comes to mind. You know, Samson always had the strength He never led people in prayer. He was supposed to be a judge, never built an altar of sacrifice. He was kind of like an impulse-driven maniac. I mean, he was wild and crazy, and God used that, you know, to the people's advantage, but ultimately Samson ended up with his eyes plucked out, pushing, doing the work of an ox while his enemies jeered around him, and finally in his death, when he finally decided to end his 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 life in order to bring down the temple that not only covered his head, but the heads of hundreds of other Philistines. The Bible said that in his death, when he finally got over himself, he did more to deliver God's people from the Philistines than all the killing that he did in all the battles of his entire life. If you really want to see a track record, though, of God blessing someone, you're going to find that at some point they had to choose to live a life that God could bless. In other words, I'll say it another way God's not in business against Himself. And He's not going to shine a light on a Facebook page that's full of fighting and profanity. He's not going to elevate you to a position of leadership if if you have uh, habits in your life and open sin that's destroying your character. God's not going to cause you to succeed. Now, the world will, and you'll even have some success, but deep down inside, listen to me, you're going to end up broken. You need the blessing of God if you're going to survive. It's not enough just to have whatever you can do. And Joseph knew this and God blessed. And then I want us to notice that Joseph not only enjoyed the presence of God and not only did he enjoy the personal blessing of God, but Joseph also had something that made him special, and this is really where we're going to dig in this morning. He enjoyed, uh, he endured God's preparation. Now, this is what built his character, and this is what typically we, we like to overlook. I want us to read ahead in beginning in verse 8 in Genesis 39, because we're going to read about uh, Joseph and something practically that happened, but it was hurtful. And as we read this story, I want you to put yourself, if you, especially if you're a young person, put yourself in Joseph's position. The Bible says that Joseph was very handsome, and he was a very handsome and well-built young man. Now, his mother was gorgeous. That, his mother, Rachel, uh, was the love of Jacob's life he saw her immediately fell in love with her and so evidently some of those good looks got passed down to joseph the bible says that he was good looking he was well built he was one of those guys that you know didn't even have to work out and he had a six-pack you know and he just he was just awesome he was a cool guy and it says in potiphar's wife who's wandering around the house seeing joseph assume responsibility soon began to look at him lustfully which, by the way, there's really no such thing as love at first sight, right? It's lust at first sight is what you've got going on. You know what I mean? And she wasn't falling in love with him. She was falling in lust with him. And she said, come and sleep with me, she demanded, which is a real nice way of saying I want to have sex with you outside of marriage. You know, sometimes we dress up that language. But Joseph refused Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. Look at the understanding that this young man exhibits. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, there's a lot of insight in that one statement. He understands that to sin against Potiphar is not just a sin against Potiphar. It's also a sin against his wife, against himself, and against God. He understands the authority that God has given him. He understands where his authority comes from. I mean, there's a lot of understanding in the heart of this young man. So it says, though, in verse 10, she kept pressuring, kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. But one day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came, and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph, look how he reacts to this Then He tore himself away, but he left his coat in her hand and fled. She calls out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he's left his cloak behind with me. So she kept the cloak with her until Potiphar, her husband, came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside and left his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. And what do we see in that prison cell? The Bible says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Do you see a pattern in the life of Joseph? You can't keep this kid down. I mean, he is falsely sold by his brothers into slavery falsely accused of committing a horrible crime, thrown into the worst prison that they had, and even in that prison, in the same way that God showed in favor in Potiphar's house, all of a sudden Joseph finds himself leading in the prison. What was going on in his life? God was preparing him. I want us to notice God's pr- preparation, and I'm going to use a word that sometimes gets has a real negative connotation, a negative meaning when I use it, and it's the word discipline. Now, when I say discipline, I'm not talking about chasing Joseph around with an extension cord, you know what I mean? Um, that's scary. I hope that never happens to you. That's not discipline. That's straight up crazy punishment, you know what I mean? Um, they'll arrest you if you ever do that to your kids. But I, I'm talking about a discipline in the way that you would have a, a, the, the running discipline or a, a, of the ability to play a sport That kind of discipline. It's a training of the body. It's a preparation. And God prepared Joseph through three disciplines. And I want to talk about that very quickly. First of all, that God prepared him through the discipline of service. Joseph had to learn how to work. It's amazing to me. You know, there's nobody that pulled him aside and said you know, if you don't do what they tell you to do, I'm gonna go tell on you to your father. I mean, nobody knew, nobody at home. His father, his brothers carried that coat of many colors, covered it in blood, took it to their father, Jacob, and lied to him and told him that a wild animal had killed Joseph. Back at home, thousands of miles away, everybody assumes he's dead. There's nobody there that would have any knowledge of him if he completely rebelled against his captors and said, I hate your guts. I'm not gonna do a thing you say. I'm not gonna work. I'm gonna commit all kinds of crime you know he could have done all of those things we might have even justified it uh, in according to our cultural norms but joseph instead of all of that chooses to do what he needs to do in order to thrive joseph has a reputation for being able to work there is some truth there is some godly principles behind this and scripture speaks about this I love what 1 Peter chapter 5 says about this. It says, in the same way you who are younger must uh, accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. In the same way that you put on a shirt to dress yourself for your school day, you should dress yourself in humility. What does that mean? That you should consider others better than yourself. It's even worse than saying we're all equal. To be humble says, you're better than me. <laughs> I owe you a sandwich. You don't owe me a sandwich. You know what I mean? I should work for you. I should clean up your mess. That you, It's not even, it's putting yourself on a lower level than, hey, we just should clean up our own messes. No, it's to dress yourself in humility says, I'll clean up your dirty napkins. I'll refill your drink. I'll clean up what you spilled. I will look after you. I will take care of you. To clothe yourself in humility. Why? What does it say in 1 Peter? It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, you don't even have to be right 100% of the time. If you're humble, you're going to find that God helps you, He smooths out the bumps. So Peter says, "So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, so that at the right time he will lift you up in honor." That's the promise on the word of God. Joseph ultimately became head of the king's household, and God promoted him to greater things, but he did that because Joseph had something inside of him that that allowed him to truly work. Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs 22, it it talks about this principle of servanthood. It says, do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. In other words, if you really take pride in your ability to serve others and you really take pride in your ability to work, people are going to see that in you. I'll even go so far as to say you'll probably never have to apply for a job. You will have work given to you because people will be seeking out your help and your wisdom and your abilities. In Proverbs 12, it says, Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. That's what the word of God says about work. Listen, every day when we wake up and we have the ability to work and work our way out of the problems that we face and do something to serve, our attitude should be one of humility and thankfulness. God, thank you that you gave me the ability to do something, to, to sweat through this issue. I'm willing to do what you need me to do because I want to find freedom from this problem. Joseph learned the discipline of servanthood, but also he learned the discipline of self-control, and this is very important, and I I hope that I communicate this correctly because I don't want to give you the wrong idea of what I'm trying to say here, but here's the problem that Potiphar had. He lacked the vision and discipline to lead his own home, and so in Joseph, he found what he lacked. Now, in Proverbs 29, there's there's a scripture that we read a lot, It says, and I'm going to read it first in the ESV, okay? It's in Proverbs uh, 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Your Bible might read, where there is no vision, the people perish. It says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. You know, a lot of times this verse is misrepresented to mean that, and a lot of times it's in church growth, that we've got to come up with a big dream, a vision to push the people forward. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being under godly guidance. It's talking about obedience. I love the way that the New Living Translation. It is a thought-for-thought thought translation in Scripture, and it says, "When the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild." And I, I really think that that helps us. It says, "But whoever obeys the law is joyful." I want to read that again. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. I want to help us understand something. I really believe there's an insight here that will help you make sense of what you're dealing with. Let's talk about the reality of being a human being. You know, sometimes we just don't find it easy to do what we should. And so we've come up with a workaround. We give ourselves something that to look forward to that engages us on an emotional level. It's kind of like when your parents want you to eat your broccoli so they cover it in nacho cheese. You know what I mean? And it defeats the whole purpose. Yes, you're eating your broccoli, but you're having to ingest a pound and a half of nacho cheese in order to do it. You know what I'm saying? You might as well be eating stadium nachos, but... Sometimes God calls us to do something that we don't want to do. And it might be as simple as obeying a teacher at school, dealing uh, in a loving way with your parents, humbling yourself at a job. It might be uh, loving your wife or your husband and you have to unzip Everything you naturally want to do in order to be the husband you need to be or the wife you need to be or the son or daughter you need to be. So what we do is we want to get emotionally motivated because we don't want to do it. So we try to make up some kind of great scheme that's going to happen. And maybe the preacher will promise a huge blessing, a hundredfold increase or whatever. But what it is, we're pouring nacho cheese all over something that God's put in our life. And we cry out for a dream, a vision. When we don't need a dream, a vision, we need vision. We don't need a big idea. We need to be able to see God's idea. You know, dreams are wonderful. And God gave Joseph a dream. He didn't even quite know what it meant. You know, the dream that God gave Joseph served to validate God's hand on his life throughout all of his pain but Joseph every morning wasn't carving that dream on the wall listen he wasn't dwelling on that dream he was seeking the vision of God to walk through day by day job by job task by task everything he needed to do and I want to encourage you young people listen we have a real warped American consumer-driven vision of what it means to follow the Lord. Sometimes when we don't feel like following God, we don't need the pastor to give us or the Sunday school teacher or the youth leader to give us a big idea that will motivate us emotionally. We need to humble ourselves and in brokenness go to God and do the job that he needs done. Because it's real hard to take the gospel sometimes that we preach here in America and carry it to Africa and tell some pastor that's pastoring in a city that's been in a civil war for 30 years that he just needs to come up with a new vision for his people to get him excited about following the Lord. It's real hard to build a gymnasium when you don't have walls around your own home. And listen, Joseph, if you can learn anything... Let me tell you where the rubber meets the road. That God has a mission for us. But it is a mission. And it is not riding down a playground slide. And there are going to be mornings when you're not going to want to get out of the truck and go to work. And you're going to have to gut it up. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, realize that you swinging a hammer is as much work and uh, as much worship as praising the Lord on a Sunday morning. And you're gonna have to find what really, I believe, is the joy of the Lord. It's the ability to pick your face up off the ground at six o'clock in the morning when you wanna lay in bed. And everybody else around you is goofing off and you have a drive and an ambition to follow God. It's a job that needs to get done and you are the one to do it. And God has put you there to live out that purpose and it is not fun at the time. You might even be mistreated and persecuted but you know that God is giving you vision through it that you never feel alone, that you know that, God, I can't even see anything on the horizon that motivates me to want to obey you. But in simple, broken obedience, I am going to, with a heart abandoned, follow you and do what you've called me to do for the next 10 minutes, if need be. Why? Because I trust you. You've given me vision. I might not even have a great big vision that's going to motivate me and thrill me and entertain me. I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me and that your vision for my life is going to come to pass as I walk step by step. You know how scripture describes living as a Christian? Walking a straight path. It's amazing to me as we look and we say we're following Jesus, have you noticed that there were a few times that Jesus pulled back the curtain and allowed his disciples to see the end game, but even then they didn't understand it. Even as they watched him transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, they did not grasp the totality. I mean, listen, I think sometimes we clamor for a vision or for a dream. And listen, folks, what God has for us is beyond anything we can even think or dream of right now anyway. And I want to encourage you to live a life like Joseph where we are able to have the vision and the perception to see the stripes on the road that God has laid out for us. And step by step, follow the path that God has. Joseph was willing to be disciplined and he had self-discipline. World around him was off the rails. He was like a man, like a train on a railroad track, day after day, following the Lord, obeying God, living out a godly character, doing what was right, even in the midst of all the pain. And finally, I want us to notice that God used in Joseph's life the discipline of suffering. Now, I know this isn't fun to talk about, but I'm going to be honest with you, I don't care. Because, and you shouldn't either. Because if you've ever been hurt and you've been unjustly accused of something, if you've ever been let down by somebody that you trusted, we can all accept the reality that that does not mean that God hates our guts. And it is entirely possible that God can at one time love us dearly and at the same time we can be mistreated by people around us. That's just the reality of it. But God can use it And how does he use it? Well, in Joseph's life, he brought Joseph from a place of really being spoiled by his dad. He was his father's favorite son. And God took him through that, and in Joseph, he created a faithful steward. Now, before we find the end of this story of this young man, I want to tell you that he literally saved a civilization. So the responsibility that he ultimately had would have scared him to death as an 18, 19, 20-year-old young man. But he languished in this prison cell for two years. I mean, think about that for a second. It's one thing to go for a few weeks, a few months, or even to have a sentence passed down and and you committed a crime and you know you did it and you're being punished to be falsely accused of something to have done the right thing and you ran from sin and because of it you're punished that's suffering and he's there in the prison cell what does Psalms say I love what the psalmist tells us about the the metal the iron that it put in his character as he was in that cell I want us to listen to this uh, passage uh, together in the book of Psalms and Psalms 105 it says then God sent someone to Egypt ahead of his people Joseph who was sold as a slave they bruised his feet with fetters and placed on his neck an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams the Lord rested or sorry the Lord tested Joseph's character then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free the ruler of the nation Opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. This is in Psalms telling us, relating to us, what we're going to learn in the coming weeks, how he became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased, those who helped the king, and teach the king's advisors. Listen, you have a choice. You can face what you're dealing with and face your suffering with resentment and bitterness, or you can see it as God trying to mold and make you. Now, I'm not saying that he causes these things to happen to you. He does not bring abuse in your life. It breaks God's heart. The things that break your heart, listen, it breaks God's heart. But God can take those things that others mean to destroy you, and God can give them purpose and meaning. And in Joseph's life, God used these persecutions to develop him. I'm going to leave you today with what James tells us about facing trials. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. When, you're, uh, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes we wonder why we suffer. And it's because we serve a savior and follow a savior who suffered. And there's a part of your development, if you're here and you're a young person, that will not happen unless you go through periods of your life when you don't get what you want. If you're an adult here, listen, there are some things that need to be removed from us like a disease. It needs to be revealed in our character and and taken out of our character, and it won't happen if we always get what we want. And when we face those times when we're hurt, unjustly accused of things we did not do, when we are put in positions of being put in pain, Listen, I want to encourage you to be like Joseph and not turn your back on God. To not hate God's people. To not turn and become bitter. But see it for what it is. We're having to live through the consequences of sinful men and women. And God can use these things that are going on in our lives to bring about a discipline in us that will make us more like Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, but when I hold my life against Jesus's, I notice where I have failed. And I thank God every day for the promise that we find in the book of James, that God's purpose is not that we just be patched up or somewhat better or be better than the dude down the street, but that we be perfect and complete just like Jesus. And one day when we get to heaven, God will be finished with us and he'll put that last little polish on us and we will know why we went through all that we did.